0: howdy folks and welcome to the Jason Wright Show, Authentic Health Friday. Dr. Gus is back and we are going over something that I think is incredibly important and that is blood panels. So last year, I guess it was in September, I had my most recent annual visit and I got my basic blood panel done. But here's the thing, insurance, and that's, mine is an insurance-based panel. Most all of us that go to uh, an annual visit we're only going to get a limited panel that is determined pretty much by what insurance will pay for. And there is a delta between that panel and what someone like Dr. Gus thinks that we should get because he's a precision healthcare physician. He wants to know more data. And then secondly, how many of you actually know how to read what you're looking at whenever you get your blood tests back? Or do you even look at them? Do you just Assume that if the doctor doesn't tell you anything, that everything is okay. Most physicians, because they're so taxed on time, they are not going to get your blood test results back to you and then go over the test with you. They're just not going to do that. They don't have the time. They don't have the bandwidth. So unless there is something really glaring, you may never hear anything from your physician. And I think that, you know, it's the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, if we will get our annual visit done and at least get a limited blood panel and understand it, we can know what to look for and to know when our numbers are good, when, what things that should concern us, and also just ha- be literate about what we're actually looking at. And so that's what I wanted to do with today's episode. So this is a pretty dry episode. It would really help you if you went to the YouTube channel and watched this because Gus and I are actually going to go over my most recent blood panel line by line and describe what the test, the the data point is indicating, whether the numbers are good or bad, what I need to do to work on it. And then we're gonna go over some of his as well because his is a little more detailed because obviously, like I said, he's gonna be testing more than just that basic panel. Um, You know, I actually paid to have a class on how to read a blood panel so that I would be able to be more literate on reading my own panels And so you're getting this for free. This is a free course on how to interpret your blood panels, as well as helping you go and price some things. I mean, look, it's really hard to be an educated consumer of healthcare, right? Because we don't know what to ask for. We don't know what's just kind of lumped in. It's just, it's ridiculous, the lack of transparency in our healthcare system and just how in the the lack, as much as we talk about having a market-based healthcare system, there's a lot of it that does not adhere to market principles. You know that. I know that. And part of it is it's hard to know, to just shop and, and know, hey, if I added this on, what would it cost me? Enjoy this episode of Authentic Health Friday with Dr. Gus and I. And I am so grateful for you listening. By the way, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, please click like or subscribe. Leave comments. Any questions for Dr. Gus, put them in there. We will come back on the air and we will answer them as, as best we can. So with that, thanks so much for listening enjoy well howdy folks we're back with another authentic health friday it has been a minute dr gus welcome back to the show how are you brother
1: i am great jason thank you and i am glad to be back we had various reasons why throughout the latter part of january we just were not able to get up and continue to fish in those have been resolved life is good and i'm really excited to be here with you
0: well, um, I'm so glad to have you back. And today I think it's going to be a really helpful episode. And just so the audience knows, we're going to actually be, I actually had my blood panel done, not by Dr. Gus, but just kind of like my standard insurance covered in blood panel that I do every year as part of my annual physical. And first first of all, I want to say this. If you're not at least doing that, then shame on you. I curse your mustache. You need to actually at least go <laughs> Once a year to just get checked out. Make sure. Uh, last year, I mean, I'm, I'm I turn 49 this year, as you all know. That's where I'm stopping. Doctor Gus is going to help me to not go over 50 biologically. So, uh, but I do turn 49 uh, actually next Monday as we record this. And so last year I had my first colonoscopy. All good. And so if you're in that uh, if you're in that age range, I think now uh-huh. Gus, you guys are recommending. 45 now for the first one, right? I mean, it, it was at the standard 50, but now they're kind of backing that up.
1: Yeah, it's actually an interesting point. And there are different tools to assess your own individualized risk. And when you should consider uh, colonoscopy is generally very safe. There is risk. It's an invasive procedure. There's anesthesia. Very rarely there are colon perforations, which require surgery, right? So it's not the kind of thing you want to do willy-nilly, but it's also a great great screening tool that I think is very important. And so some of the more individualized will take into account your family history habits and really stage you. And for some individuals, that could still be 50 or even 55. But the general population has moved down to 45 and possibly earlier, depending on family history issues, because we're seeing uh, an increase in the precancerous polyp uh, uh, con- you know the um, the prevalence of precancerous polyps on these studies, which to me tells me there's a lot going on here with these other things we've talked about, toxicants in gut that are actually affecting the health of the gut and potentially um, causing or influencing the development of these uh, colon polyps at a uh, earlier or late stage of life, increasing that risk of colorectal cancer in an earlier stage of life.
0: So. That's just, and I I have no history of it in my family, but uh, my insurance did cover it, and I I figured, you know, since I'm getting close to fifty, that it was time to get it done. And Mrs. Wright was definitely leaning in, saying, "I want you to do this." You know, she she kind of worries about me, so uh, so I got it done. And and for the folks that are out there, I've talked about it before. It was no big deal. You hear about the uh, what's the the stuff that they tell you to drink beforehand, guys? Lightly. <laughs> The Go Lightly. I always think I should remember the Holly Go Lightly. That's what I was thinking about Holly Go Lightly. It's Go Lightly. And it's it's not, I mean, look, it's not that big of a deal. You just guzzle it down. It's more just obnoxious having to drink that much and the volume of it. But it's not that bad. And I'm a weirdo. I love getting knocked out. It's the one time where I just really rest so well. So I don't mind going under. And then, but one of the things that I have started doing, probably on a more consistent basis, like by meaning every year, my annual checkup, was probably about three or four years ago. I mean, I was one of those people that just kind of like, eh, I might or might not. And uh, as I got older, and I wanted my testosterone levels checked, that's when it really started. I did not get my testosterone levels checked this time because I feel good. I've got strength. I've got. My libido is fine. All the normal met measures or metrics that kind of, I could do the self-evaluation of my testosterone levels are fine. So I'm not going to spend that extra money because generally insurance does not cover that. So I didn't do it. But one of the things that I wanted to bring to the audience today, Gus, is I wanted to go through my blood panel results that I got. And I want to use this more as an opportunity for the guests or for the, excuse me, the audience to hear about how limiting the, the 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 standard basic panel is that's not to say it's not useful i don't want to say that and i don't think you would say that but nevertheless one it is pretty limited two what you how you actually look at these reports and what you're looking for how you more i mean as a precision medicine clinician how you look at these panels and how you leverage them for good health and for longevity Uh, We'll talk a little bit about your panel that you have on hand and then also just get you to kind of decipher what we're looking at, because look, I'm a guy that geeks out on this stuff. I love it, but I really don't know that I am able to use my results to any real effect. I know that a lot of the listeners are probably like me. They get their blood test results back and generally, unless there's something bad, they may never look at it. If there's something bad, the doctor will call you and say, hey, You've got a problem. But I can tell you, like in my case, my primary care physician, if no news is good news, if there's nothing there, then they I don't even know unless I'm subscribed to the digital portal and get a notification that, hey, your results are in. I don't even know that the results have been sent back, much less how they read. And then in a detailed fashion, just because they say generally, based on general population, your numbers are where they should be with regard to LDL and sodium and all these other things. But is it where I need it to be? So I wanted you to kind of walk through this with me and help me as well as the audience understand what we're looking at and then add any uh, commentary from your perspective on the importance of these panels, how we look at them. And I know that we're we're covering some ground we've already covered before, but I mean, I really, Gus, I don't feel confident enough at all in understanding and reading these reports and just how they're delivered. And I want this audience to be aware of it, the importance, and how they can, questions they should ask their physician, either based on results they get or before they go in. And when do you think, you know, I said I didn't do the testosterone testing. What are some things that maybe someone out there that thinks they, they're they either based on their age, family history, that they should go in for their annual physical and ask a physician to proactively get the results or at least test some things they need so i don't know did i tee that up right? does is there anything you want to add to that no i think it's uh it's great and
1: we'll i think we'll, when we start getting into the actual
0: data and walking through it it'll all open up for our list okay very good well i am going to switch us over to my screen that will give us let me get this. And I think I'm back to the note. We're still at the bottom. So let's just start at the top. And one of the things too, folks, that Gus told me that I wouldn't have even really paid attention to was that the way this was delivered, is just kind of a jumble. So it's kind of like a data dump. It doesn't really make any sense. And so uh, so therefore, I wouldn't have any idea how to really look at this. And And what Dr. Gus does is kind of more categorize and and catalog these results so it all kind of ties together so you're kind of you can look at it i guess with with that for lack of a better term a thematic uh -hmm. look at what you're what you're dealing with here but let's just kind of and and gus if we go over something that's just like really not worth commenting on just like yeah that's just kind of a basic we can just skip it but you know maybe i think everybody listening to this they're going to want to know how do i know (laughs) whether i have high cholesterol or low cholesterol what are the mm-hmm. mineral contents that i should be really looking at again we've gone over all this but i think a repeat in real time of looking at mine might be helpful so uh so with that let's just start and you can tell me um if we just gonna yeah we just move on That's is what they just move on and but if you want to park on it for a little while i'll let you lead on that does that make sense
1: yeah well and let me first say that uh not while jason's data here is kind of a hodgepodge, meaning that what he's got is what most people will get if they go in for a general checkup. Uh, Most of the time, your physician will order for you, not always, sometimes they'll order less, a complete blood count, just looking at your bone marrow health and immune system, a complete metabolic panel, which includes uh, information around metabolics, such as kidney function, liver function, serum electrolytes, calcium, biliary function, and a fasting blood sugar. Uh, in his case, he did get a TSH, which is a thyroid screen that may or may not be done depending on your age and concerns. He got a PSA, which is a prostate cancer screening test and uh, a lipid panel, just a basic lipid panel, um, You know, total cholesterol. So that's what Jason got. And there is a lot of information there that can be helpful. Uh, And what's happened is in the reporting, which may be different with your clinician and their portal and their system, it's all mishmashed together. Typically, we would look at it and see lipid panel and every aspect of the lipid panel would be clustered. And then same thing with the CBC and the CMP. And that's helpful because it allows you to look at things in a group around functional aspects of the body. Um, And so if you don't know how to do that and it's all just mishmashed together, it's going to make it even harder for you to like see patterns within the patterns. Um, because I've looked at a hundred thousands plus of this. Well, we can do it this way right now. And of course what you'll see is there's a test name, what Jason's result is, whether it was flagged or the actual reference range, which is considered the range of normal, which is a big issue cause it could be within the reference range, but Depending on where it falls in the reference range and your, uh, your individual health statistics and concerns, that could still be an issue. And then just some other like stuff around compliance over here. So that's kind of what we're looking at. What was the test? What's the result? And does it fall within the reference range and where within the reference range does it
0: fall? Um, and- hey, Gus, let me ask you this yeah. real quick. So for the listener out there that may or may not know what their insurance Covers. I mean, how do you get the? Are there? So this is a basic one that I guess most. That's what my insurance cover. But is there the possibility that I could have asked for some more testing or more reporting or like a a premium? Like, is there a, a bronze, silver, gold test result that maybe my plan covered the gold and I just didn't ask for it? Or well, I mean, it's typically that won't be the case. I mean, okay. there are some
1: higher dollar premium plans that might give you a little more data. Generally speaking, insurance companies will work off of whatever the United States Preventative Task Force has recommended at a given age. And that's going to be minimalistic, honestly, up until 40, for the most part, all that would typically be covered would be a lipid panel and a blasting glucose. And that only if they were normal, like every five years. So the TSH, the CBC, the CMP might not even typically be covered. if it if it's a like a Medicare plan, it's not. If it's a commercial insurance, then a lot of times they will. Um, what you do have the option to do if your clinician has a cash pay fee schedule for labs, most do, and it's relatively low cost. It's pretty inexpensive actually. Is say, I would like to get some extra studies for my sake, and could you tell me what the price is? And honestly, the price for, you know, getting a a testosterone and an estrogen and a uric acid and an A1C, and you add all that up and it might be a hundred bucks, you know? So it's typically affordable to get the data if your clinician will let you. Now there's this other thing that they'll ask you questions. So if, if you're tired, that might cover some additional tests because fatigue is a diagnostic code that could be used to say, I'm exploring this. And so you mentioned testosterone. So a lot of times doctors will look for reasons to order the testosterone. Do you have a loss of libido? Are you struggling with mood or motivation or energy? And these other symptoms that could be associated with low T. And sometimes, and I'm not saying any of your audience would do this, sometimes patients will kind of play a game where they'll, they'll report a little more symptoms so they can get labs covered. But I just want to caution the listener now that when you do that, anything you report to your doctor that is used to bill for insurance stays part of your permanent medical record. So... If you end up saying, you know, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I've got this numbness and tingling at my fingertips, even though you've only had it once for a few seconds. And then your doctor uses that to test various vitamins and stuff like that. You run the risk that later you're applying for life insurance or disability insurance. And they say, well, what was that numbness or tingling? That could have been what was the outcome? And you have to start explaining, you know, these symptoms you reported to your doctor and proving that they were of no consequence and they don't impact. there's just a lot of downstream, and I would say so I would caution people against uh, going in that direction, which is to say, well, hey, if I have a little of this or that, and some all of us have something, sometime, maybe I'll get my insurance to cover more for me. I, I would rather personally say, you know, get the data the insurance offers, and then say I will on my uh, collect more data on my health that I'll keep private. Does that make sense?
0: Guarantee it's something that a lot of people I I never thought about that. That, you know, because a lot of people think I've got a rich, you know, insurance plan, so (laughs) bring it on. I've got I've got a sniffle, I've got a itch, I've got a I'm tired, you know, whatever. And so I'm gonna get a test. I I think that's very good information. And and by the way, folks, that's what I want to use this for. It's just how we can be more proactive in our understanding of our health and getting the results and the testing that we need, because I just don't think, you know, Gus, you and I talk about this all the time, that we, we go the extra mile with cleaning up toxins and supplementation, but a lot of this stuff, just the mechanical side of this, of understanding and we are an, (laughs) I know you've got some opinions on this. We are a heavily insurance driven healthcare system. And so I think mm-hmm. what you just said there, that's a great little nugget of wisdom for folks. You know, get tested if you absolutely need it. You got a family history. But if you don't, don't be haphazard about it because it could come back to haunt you. I think that's excellent mm-hmm. information. Yeah. All right. So let's go through here. Let's get back to my screen. So, all right. You can see everything's still okay, right, Gus? Yeah,
1: I can. Okay. So, so,
0: so what is this? What's the, so first, the first one here?
1: Now, the first thing, and remember, this will be a bit of a hodgepodge, and then we'll show you an example of it properly organized. But you'll see an EGFR, that stands for estimated glomerular filtration rate. We usually wouldn't stop here very long, but I am for a particular reason of importance. You can see that his result is 63. It's not flagged because it's in the reference range greater than 60. But actually, that's barely in the reference range, and this is a measurement and estimate of kidney function. Mm. So, you can, the, the, so if I'm Jason and I know that, then I'm like, what's is my kidney function reduced to where it's almost abnormal that no it's not this is based on a calculation involved using his creatinine level which you'll see in a little bit and his blood urea nitrogen to come up with this and it's not the most accurate estimate the reason is that one jason uses creatine right Mm -hmm, absolutely and two jason is a muscular man uh, he's very strong and muscular and works out very
0: strong and muscular. <laughs>
1: Next his <laughs> normal creatinine level is going to be much higher. And in fact, I would be concerned if his was on the lower end, uh, for the creatinine, cause it would tell me that there is a problem with cellular health and muscle mass and stuff like that. So I'm just letting you know this because somebody could stop and say, oh my goodness, you've got borderline kidney impairment. No. Based on the metrics they're using to calculate this number, it's not taking into account Jason's muscularity and his creatine supplementation, which means this is his GFR. If you took those factors out of here, it would actually be well up into the normal range.
0: Okay, very good. Yeah, I, had, I, I knew none of that. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so what we got next? WBC.
1: A white blood cell count. Now, this good. would be part of the blood count where you would see white blood cells, platelets, hemoglobin, hematocrit, and a lot of other information. This is a really important one. Your white blood cell count—the white blood cells come, you know, produced by your bone marrow, or circulating around. This is your immune system. Total amount of white blood cells, and you can see the reference range is three and a half to eleven. Now, some individuals might be on the low end of that reference range or on the high end of the reference range, and that can be normal for them because reference ranges are based on something called uh, confidence intervals, which are a statistical term. So there's always going to be a small portion of the population that is normal but that falls outside the reference range. So what we're really looking for are deviations that are abnormal. Generally speaking, we want the white blood cell count to be right where Jason's is dead center. If it's running on the high side, that, then you're going to recheck it of course, because that could indicate maybe there's a blossoming bone marrow process that's going on. That could involve producing too many white blood cells, or maybe there's some possible infectious source in the body and it's beginning to mount a response. And then if it was on the low side and that wasn't typical for him, then we would suggest that there could be something impacting his immune system function and that he might actually need some more immune support. But his number is perfect where it is. So there's a lot we can learn from a white blood cell count. Okay.
0: Very cool. All right. TSH.
1: That is thyroid stimulating hormone. It's from the pituitary gland. It's measured in the blood. It's an assessment of thyroid function. It's just a global assessment. Um, TSH varies for individuals. You can see the reference range there is listed as 0.4 to 4.1. Some would argue 0.4 to 4.5. Um, essentially, some indiv- and there are genetics that influence, are you typically going to have a higher or lower TSH based on normal thyroid function for you? So some of us will tend to have normal thyroid function but fall on one end of the range uh, or on the other end of the range. It is thyroid-stimulating hormone. It's the hormone released by the pituitary gland to tell the thyroid, hey, kick it up, let's make some more thyroid hormone. So as it goes up, it indicates that your body is sensing you need more thyroid activity and it's trying to induce that response. If it rises abnormally, that can indicate low thyroid, meaning that you need to have that worked up medically and you might need treatment with thyroid hormone or often it's based on nutritional deficiencies. And those need to be corrected or fluoride exposures and many other things. Um, you know, if there's a question around thyroid, meaning a person's got brain fog, fatigue, cold intolerance, other dry skin, hair thinning, all these things, then the TSH may not be enough. You may actually have to look at also the free T3 and the free T4 reverse T3 and begin to look for the other signs of the actual thyroid function. Uh, in this case, all Jason has is the TSH. It's a reasonable test just for him. He's healthy. He feels good. He's not reporting any symptoms. You don't necessarily need all that other information. And it does look pretty optimal at 1.3. That's that's a good number.
0: Cool. All right. Now, here's one that I'm sure everyone is interested in that for their, for their own sake, not just because of mine, but triglycerides.
1: Yeah, so triglycerides would be part of the lipid panel, and typically we're organized over there with cholesterol and HDLs and LDLs. So triglycerides are a fatty acid that are you know, utilized for energy and stored as fat. The normal range you can see is less than 150. Optimal range is 60 to 100. That's where we wanna see it. If it stays less than 60, people will think, oh, that's good, my triglycerides are low, but that can indicate malnutrition. You're just not getting enough food or, or fats. If it's over 100, you're beginning to show uh, some impairment in your body's ability to utilize and store fats properly. And this can be due to di- excessive dietary intake. There's a lot of things that can cause this fatty liver, insulin resistance. Now, honestly, we're probably not going to react to it until it gets over 150, which is quite common in this era. Uh, the, uh, the data on risk associated with triglycerides, which we have more data on, High triglycerides and all cause mortality than we do all the other cholesterol metrics and triglycerides are a fat that are not cholesterol by the way so essentially we want to look at this carefully and the number is nuanced. my target for my patients is between 60 and 100 jason's perfect at 64.
0: sweet all right now we got sodium
1: yeah so sodium and potassium and chloride and bicarbonate are going to be clustered together typically obviously a serum sodium level is important piece of information you can see there's a fairly wide reference range there 133 to 146. it is nuanced meaning if it's concentrated like up there at 146 and you have other signs of dehydration that person could be a little dehydrated if it's actually on the other side then it is possible they might be drinking too much free water and not getting enough sodium or there can be other factors that influence that there's an enormous catalog of conditions uh, having to do with various hormones and kidney function that impact sodium balance. It's critical. The balance of these electrolytes in your bloodstream compared to in the cells dictates so many aspects of cell membrane potentials, electrical conduction, and the movement of various substrates in and out of cells. So this is actually a really important number. Almost universally, unless somebody really sick, it will be in the normal range on this panel. We rarely will ever see significant deviations in sodium, unless the person's really sick, in which case then we will. His is completely normal.
0: Okay. RDW.
1: Yeah, so now we're going to get into some of what we call red blood, uh, red blood cell indices. These are tucked into the CBC typically, and I'm not going to so say when we get to the others, we'll just pass over them, but they include the red blood cell distribution with the mean cell hemoglobin concentration, and a couple of others. And what they do is they give us more information about the size and color density of the cells and the the distribution of sizes of the cells, which actually can, if they're abnormal, tell you a lot of important information. There's a characteristic pattern in the change of these indices for iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, folate deficiency, and other conditions. And so this, if you see this high, even if you're a hemoglobin, your blood counts are normal, but you see this abnormal variability in the size of the cells, that can actually indicate a lot of potential different problems. It would be investigated, but his red blood cell indices across the board are normal. But one of them that we'll get to, which has to do with the size of the cells, my, everything else may be normal, but if it's high, it can be the first sign of the vitamin B12 or folate
0: deficiency. Okay. Do we, and are these the ones that we we were going to go over or do you want to like RBC? We,
1: had, we can go past red blood cell count. We okay. can go on PSA. Controversial test, not recommended necessarily any longer. I do still perform it on my patients depending on age and family history. It, it uh, stands for a prostate specific antigen and it's a way of trying to determine if there could be prostate cancer. It's not very uh, sensitive or specific, meaning that it can be elevated for a whole host of reasons, including recent sexual activity, a long bike ride with pressure right over the prostate gland, uh, age, or just an enlarged prostate. But if it is elevated, it doesn't mean we rush off to a prostate biopsy unless it's severely so, but it does mean we start to keep an eye on it, do an unpleasant digital rectal exam, and make sure we're not missing anything. Um, given that we don't have other good tests for screening for prostate cancer right now and prostate cancer remains the number two cancer killer in men, I still feel like if PSA testing is appropriate and potentially important, provided you don't overreact to an abnormal result that you, you know, you kind of look at it through a, a, a rational lens and you don't rush people off to biopsies and surgeries for it. Um and that point about prostate cancer. So yes, uh, people will hear this, that it's really common for older men to have prostate cancer and to never be impacted by them. Absolutely true. There's an, there's a lot of people who will develop low-grade, slow-growing prostate cancers that need no treatment will never affect their mortality. But nonetheless, prostate cancer in terms of a gender-specific cancer killer is still the number two cause of cancer death in men. So I think it's still important to have some form of screening. His PSA is nice and low and completely reassuring. All right. Protein total. Yeah, so this is just an index of total protein measurable. It's, you know, it could be useful in cases of malnutrition or if the person has uh, particular types of um, blood cell cancers where they're overproducing immunoglobulins, which can raise your total protein level. You would do additional diagnostic tests in that case. The vast majority of the time, it's going to be normal. It's not meant to be used as an indicator of how much protein you should or should not consume. But I will tell you that when you're looking at in a, at a in a cluster with other labs that can indicate protein status, it can be helpful in that way. Um, and you could say, okay, this might mean you're not quite getting enough protein. Your results completely normal. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Potassium. Same thing with sodium, critically important, very narrow range. High potassium can kill you and kill you quick. If it gets too high, it'll cause cardiac dysrhythmias. Low potassium, muscle cramping weakness, uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, there are a lot of people who have insufficient levels of potassium just based on our diets and what types of minerals we're getting into us. We lose it through sweat, we lose it through poop, You know, we lose it through urine. Uh, your level is completely normal and healthy. I do sometimes see that individuals who might feel like they're bonking during workouts are getting more cramping and they're in the normal range, but they're down around 3.6 or 3.7. Typically adding more potassium in will help them a good bit. Okay. Platelet count? Platelets are your non-nucleated little cells that clump and form clots in your bloodstream. And they are you know, typically like yours. Yours is right in the middle of the range where we want it. There are conditions where you drop your platelet counts, and if they get too low, you can start to have problems with bleeding, uh, uncontrollable bleeding, and those are you know, specific medical conditions we diagnose. And then they, you can have high platelets, which can be due to a condition of the bone marrow that could be quite dangerous, thrombocytosis uh, from a neoplastic or from like a tumor standpoint. But most of the time, it has to do with inflammatory response. Platelets are what we call an acute phase reactant. When your body is fighting inflammation or infection or injury, it'll tend to push more platelets out because clotting is often part of that response. Your levels look perfect.
0: All right. So one thing I want to ask about while we are here is if you hear young blood versus old blood. And also I know that a lot of older people tend to, if they get a cut, they bleed much worse than young people. Is this something that we're targeting whenever we talk about trying to create uh younger blood is by lowering inflammation and we'll, we'll, we'll lower inflammation because it's not taxing the platelets as much then create younger blood or am I just completely off base on that? None of that even ties together at all. You know,
1: all which the platelets, those are kind of getting continuously reconstituted. It has more. Do with the
0: plasma of the blood
1: and the buildup of like fibrin and fibrous elements and thicker and more clotted blood and malformed proteins and things of that sort. So, you're really talking about clearing more of that than you are, say, uh like replenishing your platelet count. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. So, neurofills, what are we dealing with there?
1: So, this is like where you get into a cell differential. So, when we look at that, we can look at the total white blood cell count and say, is it normal? Is it high? Is it low? And then we can look at the distribution of those white blood cells. Cause there's a variety of white blood cells that play different roles. There's neutrophils, which are involved in biting off all infections, but especially bacterial infections. There's monocytes, which can be involved in fighting certain. Viruses as well as parasitic type infections. There's eosinophils that tend to rise in allergic response or potential parasitic infections. There's lymphocytes, which are involved in viruses, bacteria, and all. And when we look at them, there's a normal ratio of these white blood cells if the system is functioning normally. And that's what we expect to see. And we can look at it from the percent of the cells that are represented by that particular type of white blood cell or the absolute count, which is also on here. And and when we see deviations, that can tell us something about is that body, even if the white blood cell count is normal, is there something else going on? Like if we see normal white blood cell count, but your eosinophils are sky high, there could be allergic issues going on. Or if the monocytes are sky high and there are symptoms, you could have, say, Epstein-Barr virus or monocytosis or something of that sort. So it kind of gives us clues and directions we would want to go hunt down things that are impacting the body and the immune system. Your differentials and counts are all completely
0: different. So one of the things I want to ask you about is if, if that, let's say, like just, just since we're here on neutrophils, if that number was completely out of whack, would I most likely see a correlation somewhere else in the panel? Is it, is it, so I guess because what I would like, did these give clues in like clumps or are there some of these things that can be really out of whack outside the normal range and everything else is perfectly fine? So I guess I'm trying to get to the question of how important it is to look at these each individually or, and, 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 and obviously you don't ever want anybody to hit be scared, but if, but if you look at this or, and I'm just using this as an example, since we're here on neutrophils, but that, let's say my numbers were way out of whack. Would I then, cause yours are going to be organized better that we're going to look at later. Would I then go, okay, wow. Okay. That's a, that's a, a an alarm. Let's go look elsewhere. And if that number, is out of whack, then it starts to build upon itself to build that R square. That maybe there's there is a problem, or is it possible that some of these things are just in isolation, out of whack, but can still mean something? Or if it's by itself,
1: hey, let, me let me just go ahead and jump in and answer your question. Cool, okay. yeah, because so, this is a great, great question, okay. really great question. So where are dimensions of content. That you're, that you're using to assess these numbers. The first one would just be the individual number itself, right? Okay, uh-oh, the neutrophil percentage is way out of whack. Is it low, is it high, right? What could that mean? Then the next context is, well, what about the total white blood cell count, hemoglobin, hematocrit, platelet count, other markers? If the rest of the lab panel is normal, then the next context I'm gonna take in, what about the patient when I saw them? Were they healthy? Were they normal? Were they reporting any symptoms related to infection or blood disease or anything like that? The answer to all those other contexts is good, good, good. Then I'm going to assume there could have been lab error, and it does happen, and we'll retest. Or you're, but we just caught your body in a moment of dealing with something, and we happen to observe the phenomena, but it doesn't mean anything. Your body... Moved up its neutrophil percent because it detected a little something and it was taking care of business and it's probably already done it. And now the problem is, and now we recheck it and it's like, oh, it's back to normal. No big deal, right? And that's the thing I always tell my patients. Um, you know, this is a, a dynamic, infinitely complex flux system with all kinds of things going on. And we're taking a snapshot in time of it. Right. And most of the time, we're just going to catch it in normal function and things aren't going to pop up unless we happen to catch a disease, which is going to show up over time consistently, or we just happen to catch the one moment where the body was dealing with something. It's very common to see somebody go get their life insurance labs. This is something I had to do lots of times as a doctor, and their liver enzymes are elevated. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, you've got to go get a liver workout before before we'll give you insurance. And they come in to see me, and we do the full review and they weren't drinking too much alcohol, and they don't have an exposure to hepatitis and blah, 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 blah. And we, you know, we, then we do the appropriate test and ultrasound the liver, everything's normal. We just happened to catch a moment where that liver was under a little bit of stress dealing with something. And that's normal. It was just doing what it was supposed to do. And so it's a great question. And it really gets to the nuances of how you interpret this. Because if you chase down abnormal results, you are putting people through additional costs, tests, anxiety, and stress that can sometimes result in unfavorable outcomes. And so really, you know, so the answer is yes to everything you said. Yes, your neutrophils could, in isolation, be really out of whack. And that could mean something very important. It could be the first sign that you had bacteria in your bloodstream and your body was about to go haywire with it. Or it could just mean not much, right? Um, And that there was no reason to do anything. But what we typically do when we just have one metric that is in isolation, abnormal, and it's everything else looks good and the context of the patient was good, we'll just recheck it and typically it'll come back normal. Did that answer the
0: question? That's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to know. Um, okay, so next mono percent. I have no idea what that is.
1: Well, yeah, the rest of the differential, which we'll just skim through, would be like your monocytes, right? So anytime we get another The next one the mean cell volume that's just a red blood cell index right that we talked about earlier same thing with mean cell hemoglobin concentration right so we can go on through all these we talked about red blood cell indexes and they could tell us things about uh you know vitamin deficiencies or bone marrow then the last one was your lymphocyte count so that was all tied into the complete blood count which we look at as a system now this is your ldl cholesterol which would usually be paired with your hdl and your uh, um, total cholesterol and your triglycerides. We already looked at your triglycerides, they're optimal. Now, what we see, so LDL, low density lipoprotein, is the uh, main area of interest on lipid panels for most doctors, triglycerides as well. And triglycerides should be the first area of interest. But LDL is the lipid, type of lipid particle that has this long association with potential vascular risk. And so we are measuring the amount of your cholesterol that is in this form. Now, if you listen to more podcasts that get into vascular health or lipidology, then you'll know that actually the best way to assess LDL is with something called ApoB, which mm-hmm. is the associated with LDL, because this is not giving us any information about the sizes of the particles or, you know, it's only telling us a total, it's a, it's basically a calculated total quantity. That's all it is. I personally don't consider these very valuable. Um, outside of being able to get more metrics about around the lipids and the lipid metrics are critically important because there are subsets of people. And it might be genetic and it could be lifestyle oriented that do have higher risk of building plaque in their arteries, because with that will be influenced by their lipid levels. And we may need to address those medically or at least through all and other pathways. And so with LDL, the reference range depends on your age your other medical conditions, such as diabetes or hypertension, do you smoke and your family history? So there really isn't an all call, like all cause range of normal. And it often, you know, what the labs will do is just pick a cutoff, like anything less than 100 is, high. but that's just not true for Jason. Jason doesn't have diabetes. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't have hypertension and he doesn't have strong early, early family history of coronary events. So Jason's actual LDL goals, you could argue based on our, what, our, uh, what we call Incept guidelines might be up to 140 still. Some might okay. say 120. So there'd be a lot of debate around what should it be. The better thing to do is to get your particle sizes, because if Jason's 103 is also actually a lot of large LDL particles, uh, then he, and he's got a good HDL, he is really not at risk. And so we'll we will do some sessions where we really do a deeper dive into the arterial health metrics, which tell you so much more. You know, I want to be careful here. But if your doctor, if you go to your doctor and you're fine and you don't have a strong family history of arterial disease and the only metric that's causing them to want to treat you is a high LDL uh, because it's 150 or 160 or something like that and they want to put you on medication, I would back up and stop there. there. You want more investigation before you take a medicine just to arbitrarily lower your LDL cholesterol. There are people who have what is called familial hypercholesterolemia and some other genetic issues where their LDLs might be 200, 250. And those are cases where we may talk about medically lowering it. But for most individuals, the uh, the first move isn't, oh, okay, let me start taking a cholesterol lowering medicine so I can just push this number down. The first move is to get more information about what does this mean, because remember that cholesterol is critically important for human systems. We manufacture it in every cell in our body other than our red blood cells and get some through our diet because of the role it plays in cell membranes, steroid hormone synthesis, and the building of myelin to coat all of our nerves and many other things. And inappropriately low cholesterol can be more risky than high cholesterol. So as far as I'm concerned, Jason's LDL is just fine at 103. That is not high for
0: him. Okay. Terrific. Cause that one kind of made me nervous just because it was a little high. Well, was it? Cause I know a little bit about LDL and, yeah. um, but still I, I like to be, you know, me, I'm kind of like it to be right within all the perfect ranges. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So
1: hemoglobin, hemoglobin and hematocrit, this is back to the complete blood count. So these are how we really measure your red blood cell concentrations. Hemoglobin is the molecule that you build that carries oxygen. Uh, has, it's iron dependent and it exchange, you know, it helps exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. And basically your hematocrit is really your hemoglobin, uh, times three kind of calculated. And so we look at those and if they're low, that can mean you're anemic, which could be due to nutritional deficiencies, but also, uh, issues with bone marrow production. So that's important. And if it is low, we need to assess why and figure it out. And we do the appropriate additional tests. If they're high. That can indicate problems as well. It can can indicate follicore response. If your body is concentrating, your hemoglobin hematocrit, uh, that can indicate that you have sleep apnea and you're dropping your oxygen all night long. It can indicate that you're getting carbon monoxide poisoning or that you've been living at high altitude and endurance training, which wouldn't be a bad thing. But there are a lot of things. Testosterone replacement in some men will trigger a bone marrow response with a high, high hematocrit and hemoglobin. If it gets really high, it's problematic in that the blood viscosity changes and you could be more likely to have a blood clot. And in those cases, we actually send you to make blood donations so that we can lower it. Jason's are completely normal.
0: So this one though, my HDL cholesterol, that looks a little high. Mm. You worried worried about that?
1: No, I love it. It's beautiful. We want HDLs high. The, The optimal range for HDLs is over from 60 to 100 and at the very least over 50. And it's a really good sign of cellular health when your HDLs are in that range. And there's also a lot of data suggesting that people with their HDLs in this range are less likely to have vascular events, strokes, heart attacks, et cetera. And so this is a perfect HDL indicating what I think is an excellent, you know, um, you know, well, just indicating that the aspects of lipid transport in your system and how your body is distributing fats looks very good.
0: Okay. Very cool. All right. Glucose, obviously a pretty important one.
1: Yeah, fasting blood glucose. So we want to see it at least under 100. Um, if it's over 126, that could indicate diabetes. If it's under between 100 and 126, that could indicate prediabetes. But it doesn't always because some individuals will wake up and they have a pretty robust cortisol adrenaline response to waking up and they've got stress factors. And even though they haven't eaten anything, those hormones have pushed their glucose up, which will actually also push the insulin up. So it doesn't always mean that. You do additional tests to verify that, Um, you know, the people will sometimes have ideal ranges like they think it should be in the 70s, 80s or 90s. I, I, as long as it's under 100 and we know that that person doesn't have metabolic health issues, I'm good with that. Jason is a go-getter. He gets up and he's taking on the day. And so he probably does have pretty good cortisol adrenaline that would cause his glucose to be slightly on the higher end of that range.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause it's with at 93. I'm pretty, I'm pretty close there. at the high good, end good, of 99? Good. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. So earlier we looked at total protein and we can break that into globulin and albumin. Albumin is like a protein pool that's stored in your body. It's a nutritional status. Globulin is immunoglobulin being produced by your white blood cell counts. If it's low, it can indicate that maybe there's an, uh, something affecting your immune system uh, in terms of its function. That does not always mean that though. You have to have other pieces of data to say that for sure. If it's high, it could indicate that you're overproducing immunoglobulins, which can indicate like specific white blood cell uh, abnormalities, and that needs to be investigated. Jason's is fine. It's normal. Okay. All right. Well, oh. we already talked about eosinophils. That's just one of the white blood cells that is in the differential. Okay. And, and then... And- Creatinine, we talked about, it's a proxy for renal function, but it's not a good renal function marker because of all the variability with do you take creatine, do you muscle train, do you have more muscle, do you have less muscle. Ideally, this would be between 1 and 1.4 for most individuals, meaning that you, because it's also, as it gets lower, it can indicate you're losing muscle mass, you don't have enough muscle mass. So that's where I typically want to see creatinine. Creatinine not at 0.8. I don't probably quote if if it's a female and she's short stature and lean but strong and it's 0.9, I'm not going to make much of that. But if I see lower creatinines, I'm going to tend to ask questions around muscle training, protein intake. Um, If I see a high creatinine, like significantly high, then of course we're doing an appropriate investigation into kidneys to see if there's something that is causing stress or damage to the kidneys. And we use other biomarkers for that. This is exactly what I would expect for Jason and it's healthy.
0: Very good. All right. And then just good old cholesterol.
1: Yeah. So this is finally, we're looking at the total, um, you know, they say less than 200, but this is an important point. If there's any data that we have that has been reproduced and over a large population, over global populations, it is the association of all-cause mortality with total cholesterol levels. And that follows a U-shaped curve meaning that as your cholesterol drops under 200, your risk of death from any cause goes up. When it starts getting really low, you know, less than 140, 130, it goes way up. And then you have this flattened area at the bottom of the U, typically somewhere around 200 to 250, where these folks have the lowest all-cause mortality. They're the least likely to die from any cause. And then it begins to taper back up as you get over 250 and really, accelerate up at that 300, 350 level, which is often where you probably would be treating your cholesterol levels. I actually want to see this number between 200 to 240 typically. It can indicate that the person is not producing adequate cholesterol out of their cells. Now, this can also just be a hereditary disposition. You could be clearing cholesterol very rapidly from your bloodstream through your liver, just looking at the total cholesterol without other Markers that are not on this panel is insufficient to say whether this is a problem or not. Thankfully, Jason, you're about to have all those tests done. So we'll know whether that's the case or not. Exactly.
0: All right. And then here's just the ratio of the cholesterol at HDL, right?
1: Yeah. But we have to get back because a lot of people are going to have your lipid profile. Okay. And, and all that they're going to hear is, oh, good, your cholesterol is low. That's good. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. And in fact, low cholesterol can be a real problem. Yeah, and so you don't just accept that and be like, oh, good. See, my cholesterol is only 150. That means I'm healthy. Actually, no, that could mean there are real problems going on in your body.
0: Good point. Good point. Okay. Going straight to uh, chloride.
1: Yeah, so chloride is where we're getting into back to the complete metabolic panel, that and carbon dioxide. Typically, these are fairly static. We don't see significant deviations except when people are really sick dehydrated, hospitalized, changes in acid-base balance. So it becomes real medical stuff. Most of the time, this is going to be normal. Is it, and if it's not, we're looking at other things.
0: Okay. Then we got some pretty basic here, calcium. That's pretty.
1: Calcium isn't going to be an indication of your total body calcium. It's just an indication of what's in the blood, which is measured fairly tightly. It's one of the most important ions in the body for various reasons and a mineral that's obviously used in bone and other structural uh, development. Uh, High or low can be problematic and can need to be investigated. Uh, Again, rarely we'll see that. There are medical conditions like hyperparathyroidism that we'll end up diagnosing that can cause high calcium. And then actually really high calcium levels without a known cause typically indicates a a cancer somewhere in that body.
0: Okay. All right. And then what do we got here? Bun. Uh,
1: Yes. But that's blood urea nitrogen and you're perfect where you are. And that's a just kind of an assessment of overall nitrogen load in the bloodstream, which can be impacted. Like if you're having gastrointestinal bleeding and blood is getting reabsorbed through your gut, that can sometimes artificially bump up the BUN. It's something you have to keep in mind. Dehydration will cause the nitrogen to get concentrated and that will push BUN up. Commonly when people are fasting, we see BUNs that are on the upper limit of the normal, just because when you're fasting, you might be a little bit more dehydrated. When we look at it as a ratio to the creatinine, what we're looking at is a way of assessing, and it's more of a medical model. Uh, if somebody is having issues with hydration status and electrolyte status, we can look at it from the perspective, is it pre-renal, is it post-renal, is it intrarenal? And we can use BUN creatinine ratios to gauge that to some extent. These are all normal for you.
0: Good deal. And so BUN just by itself, those, those look good
1: bilirubin or bilirubin of course is a byproduct of many things including the breakdown of hemoglobin in your body you metabolize bilirubin through the liver uh it, part of bile salts that you create um, and so your body is processing bilirubin all the time if it builds up that can indicate genetic abnormalities in those metabolic pathways it can indicate that red blood cells are getting broken open and spilling their hemoglobin It can indicate that the gallbladder is not working well and your biliary system is starting to get backed up. Typically very minor elevations like 1.4, 1.5 don't mean much of anything. Um, There's a very common genetic syndrome called Gilbert syndrome, which actually has to do with uh, you not clearing bilirubin as well. And those people will typically have mildly elevated bilirubins. Yours is completely normal. Very good. Uh, percent. Basophils, just back to the complete blood count, a type of white blood cell. Okay. Um, and, All right. as liver enzymes, AST and ALT. So these are important markers. We look at them regularly. They can indicate if there's stress on the liver. If they're low, that can indicate that the liver is not functioning well or that there's malnutrition. If they're high, depending on which one's high in the ratios, it can indicate damage from alcohol, damage from fatty liver, damages from viruses, and many other things that impact the liver. Yours are completely normal and right where we want them in the range. Okay. Alkaline phosphate? Phosphatase. So alkaline phosphatase yeah, is involved, uh, involved, found in both bone and liver, involved in processes. High levels can indicate problems with biliary system flow like obstruction or liver damage. Low levels can also indicate malnutrition, a loss of bone density, and some other things. Okay, Albumin. Albumin is just Albumin. simply a a storage form of protein independent of globulin, and and your levels are normal.
0: Okay. Okay. Anything else? What else we got here?
1: The monocyte. So now you're just getting into the absolute counts as opposed to the percentages on these white blood cells. And they're all normal for you.
0: Okay. And tell me if there's something we need to go over to stop. These just look like.
1: Um, Now you're back into, now you're into your, your analysis where you're looking at, the concentration of the urine-specific gravity, your bilogen, um, and anything else that might be like your urine pH and stuff like that. And it was all normal for you. No protein, no blood,
0: nothing of concern. Okay, and I think that pretty much... So, all right, so let me get back off. Let me get off this screen where I'm, I can actually see you and we're talking. So, all right, so kind of this is just my layman's view of what we just looked at you kind of determine how healthy are the blood cells and then what's in the blood cells that help contribute to the health of the blood cell. And then some of the things like platelets and platelet count. Uh, So basically, I guess if I were to just break this down, just my simple brain, it's like how healthy is your blood and how healthy is the contents of your blood is kind of what we're looking at. Is Is that kind of a easy layman's way to describe what we're trying to find out when we look at these pets. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm being like, I'm going to be all particular as a physician, as you should. Of, like, I
1: don't know that you would call it how healthy is the blood. What okay. we're doing is looking at various things we can look at in the blood to determine how is the body functioning in various ways. Okay. Like, you know, you could look at it from how healthy is the blood from the standpoint, if you did in fact have, um, A very high white blood cell count with excessive immature lymphocytes, which means maybe you have or leukemia. And now we'd say, oh, wow, the blood system itself has a cancer. But generally speaking, the blood is just, you know, it's doing amazing things in the body. And you can have vascular disease of the lining of the artery. But this is where we can access uh, data points that indicate different functions of the body.
0: Okay, awesome. All right, well, let's look at yours because I think it's obviously it's going to be a lot more, it's going to be organized better than my was, mine was. Let me yeah. see.
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to show mine. Um, and for the individuals who are, let me see if this is the one I'm looking at here. Yeah, that's it. And you're going to see that there are some abnormalities and I'll explain those. It's a good case study. Now, what you're looking at in contrast here is one, the organization, and two, what did I order on myself at 54? when and, and this is the first time i had done blood work in a long time. Um, I had just kind of laid off for a while and just want, I don't do this all the time to myself, but when I'm going to do it, I know what I want to see. And there are metrics that are not on Jason's panel that are really critically important. If you want to know how are your cells performing? How healthy is your body? Um, can you see that Jason? Are y'all uh-huh. looking at my, okay. Yeah. Uh, let me look at it over here too. Yeah. Okay, good. So this is my, my recent report, and this is the complete metabolic panel we talked about. And you can see how it's organized, glucose, sodium, potassium, chloride, bicarb, BUN, creatinine, ratios, all that, right? So you can see the difference in that organization versus Jason's just intermingled with every other test. And that's really helpful to look at it this way. If you didn't have experience in reading labs, you'd really struggle trying to understand the patterns. You can see here that across the board, mine looks great. My glucose is normal. My electrolytes are normal. My kidney functions are great. My creatinine is optimal for me. Liver looks healthy. All good. Okay. But I included a biomarker, two of them here that are not on Jason's panel that I think pretty much anybody over 40 should get for sure. Uric acid. Uric acid tells us so much about b- metabolic health, inflammation, risk. I mean, and so mine says abnormal. It's abnormally low. Usually the problem we're looking for is abnormally high because high levels are associated with gout or non-gout-based arthritis and kidney damage and hypertension. It is inflammatory. There are a lot of issues around uric acid being high. And most of the people dealing with visceral fat accumulation and prediabetes or diabetes and dyslipidemia have very high uric acid and it's problematic and we have to manage that. And it'll improve as they get healthy. Low is also important. Where do I want to see mine between 5 and 6? And I'm really low at 3.4. Does this get me worried? No, I know what this is. Um, And Jason and I talk about this a lot. I need to eat. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, so Jason and I talk about this a lot and how we can go a lot further down the road eating less food. And we all could survive and be healthier eating less food. And our bodies can be very efficient. And we got to get our protein and our nutrients. And I've described many times on this podcast, my methodology of optimizing nutrients and amino acids independent of food and then eating small amounts of food. and of and in the lead up to this test throughout January I just was not eating much at all because I was recovering from the holidays where I ate more and this is a clear indication that I was taking plenty of my amino acids and they're great but I never tell people use amino acids alone I always tell them make sure you get some complete protein in your diet you don't want to just the essential amino acids are great They're a really good substitute. They're great for topping off, getting to your protein target. You could use them for half of your daily protein allotment, but I was probably using them for 90% of my protein allotment at this point. And my body shows me clearly that's too much. You're asking too much from us without enough food. And you'll see a couple of other indicators that I needed to actually do better there. I think everybody should have this test. High sensitivity C-reactive protein, a classic inflammatory marker associated with high rates of oxidation of lipids and vascular risk cancer. I mean, like this is a critical marker. And if it's chronically elevated, you got to figure it out. All my patients have this plus multiple inflammatory markers. They've actually flagged it for being low, which is what you want. That should be called optimal and not flagged in red as to provoke alarm. The lower, the better with CRP. That's a really good sign. Homocysteine is a critical cellular marker. It's a indirect marker for something called methylation that's critically important. And if it's, especially as it gets over 12, it increases your risk of dementia, strokes, blood clots, and the development of atherosclerotic disease. If you have genetic variants that affect methylation, you will develop high homocysteine levels if you don't get um, extra amounts of particular forms of B vitamins, folate, and riboflavin, and choline. And so it really helps us understand is this nutritional cycle Uh, is all are the are the nutrients needed to uh, optimize this this really important biochemical process are they sufficient and are we able to detox it i originally when i found out that i do have genetic undermethylation and first looked at this 10 years ago my my homocysteine was 16 right this so this is a really good number showing i've got that pathway doing well This is an insulin-like growth factor one. This is how we look at growth hormone. It declines as we age. As it declines, we can lose lean mass, recover more slowly from exercise, have um, gain gain adipose tissue on our body, fat, and not sleep as deeply. It's produced mostly during deep sleep, sauna, and exercise will increase it, also eating sufficient nutrients and protein. This was improved for me. Um, I had a crash last year. After a a brief period of illness, I won't go into all the details, but I lost a lot of weight because I couldn't eat for a while. It was at a time I was already very lean and it really crashed my system. And I've been having my system rebuild. Typically, my IGF-1 levels are closer to 200. they gotten as low as 80 or 90. They're back up to 170. I'm pretty happy with this. Shows me my system's rebuilding and it's a healthy level. Hemoglobin A1c, 90-day average of blood glucose control. I think everybody should get this and not rely on just a fasting glucose. You can have a normal fasting glucose and have a high A1C. It's funny that it's flagged because low is good. Yeah, this is the surprise. Yeah, me. I know. I know. This lab does some quirky things. So, of course, if it starts getting over 5.6, we're in the pre diabetic range. Typically, I run 4.8 to 5.0. This is the lowest I've ever seen it, which again tells you I probably was just not eating enough. You know, yeah. I'm probably having some periods of low blood sugar and just didn't know it because uh, my body was. Flexible, but that probably, but that was not going to help my mitochondria perform better. Right. Right. So right. I'm actually going to, I'm eating more now with the target to get the hemoglobin A1C back up to 4.7 or 4.8, but that's actually really good. I'm a long ways away from diabetes. Cortisol looks good. Very healthy for that time of day. Nice cortisol peak, not high, not low. I'm very happy about that. Cause after my illness, my cortisol amongst other hormones had tanked that system's back online working well. My Here's my CBC. It's all normal with the exception of this borderline light, low white blood cell count. What does that mean for me? Maybe nothing, but actually, since it's a deviation, it means my immune system is probably not as strong as it could be. Why? Because I'm not eating enough food. Does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So you see these little patterns, and they could be different things. Like in my case, it's, oh, look at the uric acid and look at the white blood cell count. Look at the A1C. I, can, I know, okay, and I would have to interview a person to figure it out. It's time for you to eat more food, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Right, DHE right. Adre- DHEA is an adrenal hormone that declines as we age. We'll commonly supplement it. It's wonderful. It can help with testosterone. My levels are okay. They're much better than they were. I'm probably going to go ahead and supplement some DHEA and try to boost this up closer to 300, though. Testosterone. Now, you can see here that my free is a little low. My total is normal. Now my baseline testosterone levels were around six, 700 with a free of around a hundred to 120, which is normal. It's not high, it's not low. And then I have normal ability to gain muscle, recover, libido, all of that. Right? So there's a lot to do with testosterone that has to do with our receptor response, our receptor density. It's not just the raw number. After I had that illness, my, my testosterone numbers dropped dramatically along with my growth hormone and my cortisol. I had this bottoming out of hormones as my body became what we call cactic, meaning I did lag for nutrition. My body fat dropped to like 6%. I lost 20 pounds of muscle over the ensuing three months. I don't know if you knew that, Jason, okay. but I did. Wow. Yeah. I yeah, it was, a lot. It, I yeah it was a lot. Now I recovered and I was eating again, but it takes a long time for a 54 year old body to heal. And right. I wasn't, I was committed to letting my testosterone r- normalize. Naturally, rather than boosting it with testosterone or anything else. And so, this is where I've gotten to. I'm actually happy because it was really, really low, embarrassingly low. Last time I checked it, it was 220. Now it's up to 300. I'd still rather the three be higher than that. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you that my doctor colleague who looks at my labs with me, I'm going to have him prescribe me some enclomaphene, which is a peptide. They can improve gonadal production of testosterone. It upregulates the system, doesn't downregulate it because I feel like it's appropriate for me to go ahead and give this a boost. My body is recovering. I've added back half that muscle. I want to get the other half. I feel good, but I I would like to see if I can get my testosterone back to the baseline it was before I went through uh, that that brief period of illness.
0: And the DHEA is going to have a little bit of an impact on that as well, right? It is,
1: yeah. I'm going to go ahead and push in there and see if I can't get it. But here's the thing. I'm, I've, I'm rapidly gaining strength and muscle back. I feel good. My motivation's back. Libido is normal. So I don't even know that there's a problem when you get really low testosterone like that, you will change. You'll increase your testosterone receptors, the sensitivity of those receptors, and it's possible that I'm responding to this lower amount of testosterone as though it was a higher amount. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. But nonetheless, I'd like to see if I can get it back to that baseline. Sure. Estrogen levels are normal with normal estrogen-testosterone ratios. Normally, we would not check progesterone on men, but because of what I had gone through, I was just curious to check it. It's normal. Thyroid functions, including free T3s and free T4s, because this had been skewed a bit after my illness. These all look healthy and normal. And luteinizing hormone is the signal from the pituitary gland to my gonads to say, are we telling my gonads to turn on? And The reason I'm going with the encometin is with a level of 300, I would have expected this to be higher. It's mm-hmm. in the normal range, meaning the signal, the axis is working. But I feel like I think I think it's calibrated wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah,
1: PSA completely normal and low. Fasting insulin completely normal. That was after a workout, which could have pushed it up a little bit. I'd had some amino acids. Ferritin, marker of iron storage, oxidative stress sh- absolutely should be checked on everyone very healthy range not iron deficiency not iron excess looks great no antibodies to my thyroid gland i wouldn't check that on everybody but i was doing it on me because i wanted to look more deeply into my hormones reverse uh thyroid which can antagonize your normal thyroid again looking at it because what i've been through not something i order on everybody interleukin 6 inflammatory cytokine can indicate chronic immune dysfunction chronic inflammation undetectable good Fibrinogen, vascular inflammation and tendency to clot runs along with all cause inflammation. Good CPK muscle inflammation. I was training hard at this point, not eating a lot. I wanted to make sure my muscles didn't show signs of excessive stress, completely normal. Now what's not on here, um, are some of the nutrients cause I went ahead and did a full micronutrient panel on myself. And so I'm going to be able to get all of my like, thione CoQ10 levels, B12, B vitamins on a nutrient. Typically, I would have added B12, CoQ10, vitamin D, intracellular magnesium, intracellular folate to the blood panel. Um, but in this case, I did, I did my lipids through Boston Heart. You can see I have high cholesterol, always have. So I do have a tendency to run a little higher. I'm right on the end of that threshold where all-cause mortality could go up with you know, the number, but I'm not that far above it. LDL is 156. I'm fine with that. HDLs are good. Triglycerides are good. Apo B, I'd like it to be under 120. And it's at, you know, 121. You can see it's down from where it was the last time I checked. But uh, I'd rather this be under 120. I'm pretty close there. Small particles are pretty low and look pretty good. I'll go into LPA a little a little other, another time. That's a special topic. Um, overall, ratios look pretty good. And then I looked at two oxidation markers. The most important one is this one, oxidized phospholipids, and it looked good, but I do have this barely elevated oxidized LDL signal, which bugged me just a little bit, but I really think it's going to get back to eating more food, uh, and not being in this sort of prolonged catabolic state, but oxidized phospholipids on ApoB is my favorite lipid oxidation marker. looks good. I know I'm flying quickly through here. Fatty acid balance. You can see saturated fats, trans fats. Omega 3s, all of that looks really, really good. All these ratios look good. GGT is an additional liver marker. Cystatin C is how we can really look for kidney stress. Okay. So this is a much more comprehensive survey. And yeah. not everybody needs everything that I've done here, right? I want to be clear. I have a lab. I can order this stuff on myself. Sometimes I just do a look at everything. I added something called a prodrome test, full micronutrients. I'm doing a TOX. I'm doing a uh, A gut. I mean, I'm just doing the whole thing. But um, what I would say is that what I learned from this is that by the end of January, I needed to go ahead and increase my food intake. I didn't feel like it, I wasn't hungry, didn't feel like I was bonking, but I saw the signs that my body was like, can we get more calories and more real food protein? And so I, I, I accounted for that and began to do that with my routines. But what I would suggest is that for the average listener, if you were to try to bridge the gap between Jason and I and be like, well, wait a second, where should I land? What Jason had is okay, but it left out things that could be critically important like ferritin, uric acid levels, CRP levels. That could mean there's a real problem brewing in Jason's system that hasn't interfered with all these other functions yet. By the time it has, it's been going on for a lot longer. So what I recommend for... Depending on your health and your family history, but certainly by the age of 40, maybe even 35, you would get the complete metabolic panel. Your doctor will do that for you. I would ask for uric acid. I would ask for high sensitivity CRP testing. I would ask for a homocysteine. I think growth hormone is optional. Maybe as you get older, I would want to know a hemoglobin A1C and what my fasting insulin is to know, am I already becoming insulin resistant? I think cortisol would be optional for most people, unless they're excessively fatigued and stressed for a long time. You want your blood count. If you're aging, you want DHEA. If you're younger, probably not yet. I think for men, as they approach fifty and above, they should ask for a testosterone level. They should start getting a baseline and knowing where does that stand. Are we going to get that when I do my stuff with you? Yep, you're getting it all. Yeah, that's one. That's one of the
0: reasons why I didn't do it with Hope. I I thought we probably were okay.
1: At fifty, I would get IGF one testosterone. Uh, DAGA I'd want to start really looking at all those hormones. Are they falling off? Because some of that's genetics and knowing when to intervene. Um, I don't think you need, everybody needs estrogen and progesterone. Females may, I think a TSH is sufficient if you feel good, unless you have a family history of thyroid problems and you want to look a little more deeply or you have symptoms. Uh, passing insulin, I do recommend. Ferritins, I recommend. There's so much information in a ferritin. Um, And then interleukin six, not necessarily for everybody, I'd maybe start with the HSCRP, but those would be the ones that I'd be like, I want uric acid. I want homocysteine. I want ferritin. I want high sensitivity C-reactive protein. I want to know more about my lipids, like small dense LDL, ApoB. Yeah. Those are, those are metrics that are very, I want a hemoglobin A1C. Those are really important metrics that can tell you a lot, they can begin, they can help you predict. Things that are developing in process that you're not going to find through regular labs, possibly for several years, and you can begin to go ahead and unwind and reverse.
0: I think I asked you this one time before: is the ApoB that is the one that gives you the reading that that helps indicate your likelihood of contracting Alzheimer's dementia?
1: That is the ApoE genotype.
0: Uh, There you go. There you go. That's what I'm thinking of. So that's a different thing altogether.
1: Yeah, and then depending on like with the as you know, Jason, my patients. I have their genetic profiles. I have their their saturated fat genetics. And I have their polyunsaturated fat genetics. And I have their mitochondrial function genetics. And their glutathione and nitric oxide genetics. And then I have their whole context of health. Then I have this data plus nutrient plus toxin. So I have have this much more robust picture of what's going on in uh, in my patient to really get as close as possible to the correct interpretations of what's going on in that infinitely complex system.
0: Well, and then I guess I'd be remiss without saying that this kind of gives you an indication of what supplementation you might need, as because I know that's one of the things that's very uh, a, a very critical or a cornerstone of your practice is that you look at these things and you want to, like you mentioned earlier, and that whenever we're looking at um, the the lipids and stuff, and not just throwing somebody automatically on a statin or some other cholesterol uh reducing medication is wait a minute let's see what we can do with nutrition you mentioned it nutrition exercise possibly some supplementation but you've got to look at these numbers to kind of get a baseline and then take the whole total picture what are your genetics are you exercising are you under stress are you all these different things but at a minimum to me the the blood panels as i've gotten older and, and gotten more involved with health and wellness is the closest thing i have to a hobby and now as a, as a business with you and the things that we're doing, it just, I, I, I just, to me, if there's someone out there that hasn't had a panel done in ever or the last five years, you gotta know where to start. And it just tells you so much, even my, even mine that was pretty limited and scant, you know, I think at least it gave us some, some indication of where I am, right? Yep, it did. It gave us some
1: and it's helpful and reassuring. But what, in my experience, Jason, after having done this thousands and tens of thousands of patients, the, what's not there is too important, yeah. right? And, I, yeah. and I'm bothered that our insurance companies haven't acknowledged the fact that an enormous number of people at younger ages already have insulin resistance and will become diabetic and they're not giving them the metrics to show it. that they, they already have liver stress for multiple reasons and they're not giving them the metrics to show it. Because my experience with people is, if they know that and they have a plan to fix it, they'll do it and yep. get healthy and prevent these problems later on. But unfortunately, we cannot convince our insurance companies or our policymakers that this would be smart, proactive uh, medicine.
0: Well, we're going to keep trying, my friend. We're going to keep trying to give them the data. We, we and we've we've got a few contacts in that space that we can beat the drum to. So we'll we'll, we'll be doing that. Well, Gus. I'm glad to have you back, man. Glad to be getting the new year started back and a lot of, lot more content to come, folks. Uh, we've mentioned some of it before. before. This is going to be a big year for Authentic Health, for the Jason Wright Show, for what Gus and I are doing. And so stick with us. But hopefully we've, you found mm-hmm. this helpful. If you have any questions, please, I'm going to put this on YouTube. Uh, post in the comments, questions you might have about uh, just where, where do you get your blood test? Anything. I don't care. You know, How do I get it? What I, if, if there was something we didn't cover, uh, if there's something you're, you're concerned about, always feel free and, you know, Gus, I'll, I'll find a way to, I know they can always go to jasonrightnow.com and just go to the contact session section and ask a question about one of these episodes or put it in the comments, but we'll, we'll figure some way to where when people listen to these episodes, they can ask us direct questions. Cause we, you know, we've talked about it. I would love to do another Q and a episode where people can just ask you questions. And so folks, if you have any questions. Send them along. I'll give them to Dr. Gus, and we will be glad to answer, answer them on air. We want I, to provide you with the tools you need.
1: We'd love to hear those questions, um, yeah. and I'll answer them as, as much as I can. Of course, the one caveat is if you were to say, hey, this was my lab result. Can you tell me what's going on? Um, I can't like pretend to play doctor for you or anything, else, but I can speak in generalities around things and we'll to answer questions of what could be and stuff like that with the understanding that you still need to seek your own medical care. I really would love to hear from you. What is it that you want to understand it know, And uh, so we can we can make sure that we're giving you what you need valuable for you.
0: Fantastic. All right. Gus, that wraps another Authentic Health Friday, brother. Thank you so much, my man. Thank you, Jason.
1: And uh, by the way, since we're recording this on Valentine's Day Wednesday, make sure you got in taken care of
0: tonight. Well, I was about to tell you, um, I, I got to wrap this because I still have to go get. We decided we're going to stay in. We're actually keeping uh, one of our employees who we're very close with. Actually, it's kind of cool. Patrick Mahomes' cousin will be staying with us. Now. His second cousin, his first cousin, Emma, that works for us, who used to be uh, Brittany and Patrick's nanny. She is now a mother herself and, and Gemlin and I get to pe- play surrogate grandparents to, to her little baby tonight so that she can go out and enjoy a Valentine. So it's going to be Jemlin and I grilling steaks and, and, uh, and, and a baby. So, uh, so I'm about to go grab some steaks and I'll be cooking tonight, brother. So, uh, yeah, and I thought about that. You know, if we would have planned this right, maybe we would have done like a heart health for uh, for Valentine's. But I think we, I guess blood, we covered blood, so that's close. We did to cover heart. blood, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so.
1: Well, happy Valentine's Day to Jim Lynn and you guys have fun.
0: Same to you and Kelly, brother. I appreciate you, man. Bye bye. Well, that does it for this episode of the Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music, and as always. Thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out.